This is Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm James L. Rubart, but you can call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., but you can call me Mr. Umstadt. <laughs> and this episode, guys, we're going to talk to you about getting ripped off and why this is a very good thing. Yeah, so th this is the episode where we're going to cover plagiarism, copyright, piracy, and whether or not these are a problem, when they are a problem, and what to do about it. Uh, but first, we should probably de define some terms. So, Jim, what is the difference between piracy and plagiarism? So, w when you look at this, plagiarism is is usually pretty much bad. That's when somebody is taking something that you have written and copying it word for word and planting it, say, in a manuscript as if it's their own when it clearly is not. And this was a, this, this came up recently in the last, I want to say six months, nine months, where a very prominent writer, Christian writer, took uh, word for word and used from another writer, not as prominent in a video that she produced as well as a book. And so plagiarism, taking something from somebody and using it as your own, that's a no-no. That's bad. Exactly. And the big issue here is credit. So when it's plagiarism, they are not just redistributing your content, but they are doing it without you getting the credit. Now, piracy is a little bit different. This is where someone is sharing your work online, typically, although it could be, you know, with a photocopier. <laughs> <laughs> sharing. I like that. Sharing your work. <laughs> yeah. But they are not taking credit. So the classic version of piracy is, you know, you're you're uploading a song to Napster, right? And you, it's not, and who is a big artist in the 90s? Madonna. So you're uploading a Madonna song to Napster. It's not that you're saying, oh, I am Madonna now. It's very clear that it's Madonna singing the song. In fact, that's the whole appeal of it. And yet you're getting it for free. Now, uh, piracy feels bad, right? It's like, hey, you're getting my work and you're not paying for it. That's that's not cool. Um, and yet for most authors, their enemy is not piracy. It's obscurity. You know, for, for many of us, especially when we're just getting started, before you've made your first million dollars, let's say, in writing, uh, the real challenge is not that people are pirating you. It's that people don't want to pirate you. <laughs> they don't want to read your book, even if it's free, because uh, they haven't heard of you. And uh, that's something uh, to keep in mind. Um, but uh, yeah, so Jim, what, what are some of your thoughts when it comes to some of the negatives of being pirated? Well, back to the it's it's emotional, but that's part of it, Thomas, because I, I'm guessing most people, most of our listeners have Google alerts on themselves. So if something's out there and your name's attached to it, boom, it comes to your inbox and says, da, 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 da. I get at least once a day a Google alert that says, Jim, your book is being pirated. It's being given away for free. Audio as well as PDF downloads. And there's that immediate I. It, irritation, that immediate feeling of injustice that, that I'm being stolen from. And, and I am, I am being stolen from. So part of it is saying, getting a hold of that emotion. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit, why you need to go, no, 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 Jim, that's not a bad thing. This is, this is a really good thing. And, and Thomas hinted at it a, a few minutes ago, but we're going to point out to you statistically and based on scientific feedback, why it's a very good thing. But let's just acknowledge that there is that feeling of you're stealing from me and I don't like it. 
or rather you feel like you're stealing because piracy is different from stealing in a very fundamental way. And it's why we don't have a good language around it because this form of piracy, this thing that happens when you copy something digitally hasn't really existed before. Um, and that is in stealing, you know, Jim, if I steal your car, you no longer have a car and I now have a car. I have your car. But if I pirate your car, it's like I come to your driveway and I make a copy of your car and I now have a copy of your car and you still have a copy of your car. <laughs> and so it's not stealing in the sense that you don't have something that you used to have. It's not theft in that way. But there is that loss of, hey, I was going to buy your car, but now I have a copy of your car. I don't need to buy your car anymore. Right. So it feels like you took money out of my pocket. Um, so stealing in that sense. Right. And often when big companies uh, you know, calculate the cost of piracy, they assume that somebody who downloaded a million songs, let's say, would have paid full price for all million of those songs. And they're like, we lost a million dollars. And the reality is, is that that college student who downloaded those million songs would never have paid full price <laughs> for those million songs because he didn't have a million dollars. So there's not the loss in that way. And, and as society, we're still grappling with it. Um, and we're going to talk about some of the uh, positives of piracy here in a second. But first, let's talk a little bit about some of the neg uh, what you can do. If you're seeing your work pirated, um, what can you do to ma uh, make that stop if you want to? One of the things you can do is you can send an email asking them to cease and desist. You can just say, stop this. This is my work. Why are you doing this? Um, and you can even threaten legal action. Um, to get them to stop. Sometimes the Authors Guild will get involved in something like this. So there is the possibility of doing that. However, that's probably not the best use of your time. Why is that, Thomas? Well, legal is very expensive. Typically to win a copyright case, you're going to need to spend 10000 plus, often 100000 plus uh, to win that copyright case. And um, often when you win, you don't get any money back. You're just forcing the other person to go bankrupt. This is what the music industry found. They weren't getting any. They were losing money in their lawsuits because uh, suing single moms for downloading MP3s, uh, not a great business practice because it's really expensive. And guess what single moms don't have? A lot of money. So you spend <laughs> $50,000 suing some single mom and she you know, settles with you out of court and you get $1,000 out of her, which is really harmful for her. And yet doesn't even cover like one day of your lawyers. Now, there is something that you can do that is, I will say, pseudo legal, uh, although it is a part of the law. And it's what's called a DMCA takedown notice. Or uh, this goes back to one of the early laws on uh, the regulating the Internet. It's called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And that M gives you an idea of how old this law is. <laughs> back when millennium was a cool word and not a dated, antiquated word. Um, but uh, Big websites like YouTube and Facebook and even web hosts have uh, a web page that you just fill out a form and say, this person is uh, pirating my content. And often they'll take it down within 24 hours. The DMCA takedown notices are um, very powerful. In fact, the, the complaint about them is that they're too powerful, that people are able to take down stuff illegitimately, right? Somebody's criticizing you online and you go on and say, this is violating my copyright. And then it's up to the creator of the video that you don't like to prove to YouTube or whoever that it actually isn't um, 
violating the Copyright Act. So it, it can be abusive in that way. But for you as an author, it's very powerful. So if somebody has a link to a PDF of your book on their website, you just go to their web host and do a DMCA takedown notice and you can take down that uh, work. But the problem with that is <laughs> <laughs> you've only taken it down on that one website. And this can be a little bit uh, like playing whack-a-mole. And what uh, big copyright license owners have is they'll actually pay companies and all they do full time is keep an eye on the Internet for new pieces of their content popping up. And then they'll do the DMCA takedown notice. And it's very expensive to do that. It's very time consuming to do that and potentially not worth it. Uh, especially if you're a small-time author, it's just it, there are uh, there's a new way to think about this. Instead of trying to you know kill the dandelions by blowing them into the wind, <laughs> there's uh, a way of seeing those dandelions as assets. So let's talk about some of the positives of having your writing pirated. Jim, is this right? Can there actually be positives of of having your your content pirated? Yes, we should be. <laughs> Putting emotions aside, we should see it as an extremely positive thing when our books are pirated. Here's why. Essentially, and Thomas and I have said this again and again over the years, although I don't think we've said it for probably a year now, Thomas, the best advertising vehicle for you, far and away, is your book. So your book is this 300-page brochure to sell your next book. And that actually happens. So in other words, when somebody downloads a pirated book. Oftentimes the attitude is, I want to try out James L. Rubart. I'm, I'm not sure I want to spend money, but I, I think I'm going to try it out. And then if they like it, guess what? They actually go out and spend money for the next book. So essentially these thieves are handing out brochures to sell your next book, not that book, but your next book. Yeah. So let's imagine, Jim, you and I are beginning authors and we both finished our first novels. And your novel, you upload your novel to BitTorrent and it gets downloaded one million times. And I go through the normal book launch process and I reach, you know, let's say 10,000 people with my novel who've paid to buy it. Who of us is going to make more money with novel two? <laughs> it's going to be you because you have a million people who read your book and know who you are, whereas I am still sitting in obscurity. And we, we've seen this before. So while piracy is new, it's not as new as you might think. We actually saw this in the 1920s. So what was the new technology in the 1920s? It was radio. So the new, these new radio stations were popping up and they would put records on the radio station and they wouldn't pay the owner of the record for playing their song. And it was like, oh, how dare you? But what they found over the next few decades was that the records that got played on the radio sold more records. People like, oh, I've heard of that singer. I want to buy his music. And the musicians who embraced radio were the ones who flourished. In fact, there was a big scandal a few decades after that of musicians and record labels paying radio stations to play their music. This is what's called payola. And it was a big scandal, right? It's like the money was going the other way. They were paying somebody to play their music for free for audiences. And like, why would they do that? Because it's a lot easier to turn fame into fortune than it is to turn fortune into fame. And getting famous, getting known, getting notoriety is really hard to do. And uh, piracy is viral. Uh, Jim, tell us, why is piracy viral? Well, there was a Columbia University study, Thomas, that points out that pirates buy 30% more on average than non-pirates. 
Do you understand what's going on there? So this thing, you, you want that extra 30%. So this thing starts to grow and grow and grow. And pirates are the way to spread that growth. Again, 30% more. That's a significant figure. That's right. And, and, you know, owning your book and paper is the thing that they can't really pirate. And piracy is always more of a hassle than it is not to pirate. So after a while, people prefer that convenience. In fact, Steve Jobs made a really great case. He said, you're making less than minimum wage when you pirate music on Napster. Just spend 99 cents a song from us and we'll save you all that time and hassle. It's actually a better investment to pay the money than it is to steal it. And the, and there's a sense of sense of conscience in not in everybody, but but a lot of people, and and so you might pirate that first one, but you feel bad. I think people feel bad. Some people, not everybody, obviously, but people feel bad when they do it, and so that it's easier, like you said, Thomas, easier and and just better on the conscience to do it that way. And here's another way to think about piracy: they're probably in every one of the towns across America. There is a physical piracy site <laughs> and we laud and champion this physical piracy site and you you're probably very fam- familiar with it it's called a library yeah you know you, you go to a library you don't pay for the book now the library pays for the book in fact they pay extra for the book so if a book normally costs ten dollars the library may pay thirty dollars or fifty dollars for that book uh, but they may lend it out dozens and dozens of times to people who are not paying anything for that book and yet Pretty much every author I know wants their books in libraries because the more people who are reading your book and talking about your book, the more your book sells. So the pirates talking about your book to their friends, their friends may not be pirates too. And so when they're talking about this new author they've just discovered, their friends are then going out and paying full price for the book. And, and or they've, you know, we're using the term pirate kind of loosely here, right? Because checking a book out from the library isn't piracy in the sense that it's illegal, but it's still that same idea of getting a free copy. Or, you know, authors will give away free copies of their book for promotional purposes, right? There's like, hey, everyone who downloads my book today on Amazon, it's free for 24 hours. You know, that's another form of giving away the content for free to help build that notoriety. You don't do that forever. As you build that brand, as you get well-known, you can demand more and more of a premium uh, for your books. And the stronger an author's brand is, the more their books tend to cost as a general rule. But uh, don't be afraid of libraries giving away your book for free. Don't be terrified that your PDF is available (laughs) on BitTorrent for the handful of savvy people who know how to get it off of there. So, Thomas, I've heard you say pirates are the ultimate mavens. What do you what do you mean by that? So a maven is a super fan of a topic or an idea. So it's the person who doesn't read two or three sci-fi books a year. It's the person who reads 100 sci-fi books a year. And because they're reading so many books, um, they're more likely to be pirates because it's really expensive to read 100 books a year. But they're also the person their friends go to for book recommendations, right? Who are you going to ask for a book recommendation? Your friend who only read one book and is recommending the only book they read this year or the friend that read a hundred books is like, <laughs> well, it depends what you're looking for. If you're looking for blah, blah, blah. And you know, they give you this really detailed answer and help you find the exact book for uh, that you would uh, most enjoy. And uh, those kinds of people tend to pirate. And those are the kind of people you actually want reading your book. <laughs> you know, they, they may be more influential a pirate who reads 100 books in your genre may be more influential than a blogger uh, who blogs on your genre because they have people in real life asking them for book recommendations. And I have friends, if they recommend a book to me, I, you know, they have had trusty recommendations in the past. I will literally pull out my phone in front of them and download the book 
from Audible right there. Like that's all I need. I don't have to read reviews. I'm not checking the price. If that friend recommends the book, in fact, these there's only two or three friends that are like this. So I'll buy their book. And two of them are pirates. <laughs> this is a, I literally experienced this myself. Oh, wow. uh, I, have, I have pirates that make <laughs> You're um, living this. recommendations to me. And some of these pirates will buy books to support the author or they'll pay for them if they really enjoy them. Uh, so it's not that they don't spend any money on books, but they do spend less uh, because of their um, the way that they consume content and the way that they think of intellectual property. Because uh, the idea of piracy, that ideas can be owned and ideas can be stolen is a new concept that really only started emerging about 100 years ago. Uh, the previous thinking was, and there's a quote from Thomas Jefferson on this, you know, when I uh, share knowledge with someone, it's like my candle lights their candle and I'm not diminished by the sharing of that knowledge. The, the, the world is just a brighter place. Uh, he said it in a lot more words than that, uh, but it's that same idea. And that was kind of the idea throughout most of history. This whole idea that ideas are, um, property and you can have intellectual property is very new. And as a culture, as a society, we're still navigating how best to uh, handle that. Because in general, copyright in intellectual property benefits the very wealthiest people to the detriment of everybody else. So Madonna is really benefited by copyright, whereas the person playing at the local restaurant and trying to sell CDs, you know, for $10 that they made themselves is not benefited by copyright, uh, which is different than how they portray it in the, in the media because these very wealthy companies spend a lot of money on PR and they try to trot out, you know, small musicians as the ones they're trying to protect when in reality they're trying to protect the big dogs. And there's actually a tool for the little guy uh, to help um, control what is shared and how it is shared. And it's something I'm a big fan of, and it's called the creative comments. Uh, so you often hear uh, when something is copyrighted, it says all rights reserved, right? That term is, is included. So it's copyright, it's got a date, and it's got the phrase all rights reserved. Well, the creative commons is a some rights reserved form of copyright or an alternative to copyright. It's fully legally enforceable. It's been tested in the courts, and I have used it for over a decade for various pieces of content that I've created. And what's nice about the Creative Commons is that it's modular. So you can pick which rights you want to retain and which rights you want to give to the reader. And it's got these cute little icons <laughs> that will show you um, what rights you're retaining and what rights you're not retaining. So let's go through what those options are uh, very briefly. And you can decide if you want to use these. Uh, you, you can use them on your book. Uh, my book actually is a Creative Commons book. It's not uh, on a traditional comp copyright, but these are even better for like a short story or something that you're giving away. And we'll have these in the sh we'll have these in the show notes for you guys, so you can uh, take a peek at them. That's right. Novelmarketing.com forward slash one nine six for episode one ninety six. Uh, so the first is attribution. All Creative Commons uh, licenses have the attribution icon. By default. And I don't think there's a way to, to not have attribution, which means they have to give you credit. <laughs> so if they share, however you let them share, they have to give you credit. Uh, the second element is what's called share like. So other people can copy your work, but whatever they put your work into has to also be a Creative Commons work. And I really like this, actually, because it it's like a virus that spreads creative commons throughout all the world. <laughs> so the more people who use the share like um, icon, the more they're encouraging creative commons and other types of uh, creations. Uh, the next one is non-commercial. 
so this means that other people can make copies and distribute it and perform it, et cetera, but they can't sell it. Uh, they can't give it to um, people in exchange for uh, money of any kind. And, and these are op- each one of these are optional. So you could have it be share like and non-commercial, or you can have it just be non-commercial and not share like, or you can have it be both of those. And then finally, there's no derivatives. So people can make copies and distribute it, but they can't make changes. Uh, this is the one I, I, I don't like. I don't put this uh, as a general rule because people making derivative works, I think, is really powerful. And it's a really important thing of culture. Uh, you know, you write a book and somebody else writes a song that, you know, has characters of your book. You know, that's important for culture to be able to reference itself. And uh, so much of literature has been trapped inside of copyrights where it's in these little like islands where there, it doesn't affect culture more generally. And there are um, really good examples. Like there's some fictional characters that are not this way. That you really come to know and love. So why is Sherlock Holmes such a big character? Because he's not copyrighted. He's in the public domain. Anyone can make a Sherlock Holmes movie. You could write a Sherlock Holmes novel. You could do a song about Sherlock Holmes. And that's really powerful. And it's it's made him one of the most famous characters in literature, due in part to the fact that he is not trapped inside of an island of copyright. Uh, You can find out more about the Creative Commons at creativecommons.com. Org. All right. So one final story. I remember I was at a writer's conference uh, several years ago and I was talking with an editor and she was talking about how one of her clients was a, with a traditional publishing company had without her permission or the company's permission uploaded his own book to a pirate site and then his sales went up and she was kind of befuddled because part of her wanted to chastise this author for pirating his own book because he didn't have permission to upload it to a pirate site. But the other part of her really liked the fact that they were all making more money. She was making more money. The author was making more money and the publishing company was making more money. And I feel like that that is the paradox of piracy. If, if you don't like piracy, you can do DMCA, take down notices and keep it all really ratcheted down. But if you're willing to let the radio play your music, so to speak, you might be surprised at how effective it is at helping you sell more books. Uh, Jim, any f- other final thoughts? Well, again, the emotion of having somebody uh, feel like they're stealing from you or they're taking money out of your pocket, uh, I would just encourage you to say, yeah, that's emotion. The logic and the best marketing approach is to let the songs play. I, I love your analogy of the radio, Thomas, and that's let the songs play and get them <laughs> on as many stations as you can, because ultimately that's going to sell more books. All right. And who's our featured patron? Our featured patron uh, today, big thanks goes out to David L. Winters. He has written a book, The Accidental Missionary, A Gringo's Love Affair with Peru. While sleeping during a mission service, David Breedman awoke to the call of foreign missions. Weeks later, he found himself learning the ropes in Lima, Peru, where David found the adventure of a lifetime. And so you can check out that book. We've got links in the show notes. David, thank you so much for being a patron. And our sponsor today is a course that I made uh, called How to Start a Local 
writer's group. Most authors want someone else to start the writer's group. They want to join someone else's group. And if there's no group in their area, they're just like, oh, well, I guess there will never be a group in my area. And that does not have to be the case. (laughs) Um, Just because you're introverted, just because there's no group to join, doesn't mean you can't start your own group. And this course walks you through how to do it. I have been leading small groups and starting writer's groups, I think for 15 years now. Um, yeah, uh, just just around 15 years. So I have a lot of experience in how to do this. It's a step-by-step guide. We have a link to it at novelmarketing.com. But if you are a member of the five-year plan, uh, if you're taking that course and going through it, this entire course, How to Start a Local Writers Group, is included for free in that plan. Uh, but if you want to buy it separately, you can. And as always, patrons save 50%. So uh, there's a lot of ways to get this course very inexpensively. And you can learn more at novelmarketing.com. Now, Jim, I I hear that you've recently given birth to a new baby. Is this true? <laughs> I, I did. I did. Um, uh, June when, when did that happen, Thomas? Ah, it happened May 21st. So the, the child is a little over a month old now, and that is my latest novel, uh, The Pages of Her Life. And Thomas, I, I'm getting just really tremendous feedback on this novel. It, it, it's essentially the story of a woman who stands up for herself for the first time in her life. And, and the feedback I've been getting from readers is, oh my gosh, this was me, this, you put me in your book. And so that's really satisfying. And, and you can go to Amazon and pick it up, uh, audio version, uh, Kindle version. So it's ebook. What am I trying to say, Thomas? I'm trying to say that it's in is all Is it available versions. in paper though? That's, that's what us millennials really care about. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Yes. It's inv- available in, in paper as well. Again, the pages of her life, my, my latest novel. And if you do pick up a copy, I would love to hear what you think of it. And uh, as always, it has been nominated for an award. Uh, I feel like this almost goes without saying with your books, but it's a finalist for the Carol Award. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And that actually, the, the I'm a finalist in the Carol Awards for The Man He Never Was, the, the my novel before this one. So yeah, that's that's always such an honor to, to be recognized that way. And I, I that that award ceremony hope happens in September. So I'll know at that point. And Thomas, you um, speaking of babies, I just <laughs> gave birth to my latest. How's how's Margaret doing with another bun in the oven? Yeah, so uh, this week has been rough. Um, we, I, one of my life goals is to fly through LAX without getting sick. <laughs> what is about that airport? I seem to get <laughs> sick every time list. I fly through there. Yeah, I, I come home. I come. I, they just need more of those Purell stations. I think someone's looking for them there, and I just I don't find them. Uh, but I brought home a cold uh, from California, and my pregnant wife got it, and. Um, at the same time, my daughter has got four or five teeth coming in all at the same time. So oh, man. Uh, we're not sure if she has a cold or if she's just teething really hard, but she's got a, a low, low grade fever. And so a lot of sickness over here, but uh, we're, we're hanging with it. We realize that it has come to pass. It has not come to stay. But uh, yeah, we have um, a cold and my, my poor, poor wife, you know, do keep her in your thoughts and prayers because she's she's pregnant and she has a small baby and she's sick all at the same time. So anyway, what a nice uh, summer. but it's good times. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Happy summer, everyone. Happy yeah, summer. summer. Wow. Okay. Well, folks, you've been gleaning wisdom, hopefully, from James L. Rubart and Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thank you so much for listening.